0: day for you today the word is digital digital think physical and digital merge together digital I'm having to say it I'm looking at it p-h-y-g-i-t-a-l because I'm putting it on like I don't know a sticky note I'm going to make it my word of the day digital it's a word we, uh, with which we are going to – we are familiar with it already. We just didn't know what to call it. So here you go. Here's the word you've been looking for to describe the new reality applied to how we're probably going to do things going forward. So the word digital uh, has emerged out of this real interplay that we all experience now between the integration between the physical and digital experiences – Uh, Yes, there are some ethical discussions that we need to have about the importance of the body, in-person relationships, the incarnation, the body of Christ. But right now, for the moment, in our culture and around the world, uh, we need to consider that schools, businesses, and yes, churches are making calculations and considerations about how COVID-19 has changed things going forward. We're not going back to how we did things before. Uh, Even if you are going back to work, uh, trust me when I tell you, your work environment has changed since last you saw it. Um, We're not going back to the way things were. Um, Schools, as they are looking at this upcoming semester, for those that are planning to return to to on-campus in-person classes, as, by the way, is the University of Northwestern St. Paul, of which this uh, Faith Radio and this program are a part, Um, planning on returning to in-person classes, but it's going to be different. And there are a number of uh, universities that have already announced the way they're going to approach it. Not only are things on campus going to be different, but the semester is going to start earlier, probably in fairly early August, and it's going to end before Thanksgiving. Uh, Semesters will likely be shorter. There will be fewer in-person experiences and more and more digital experiences, with an integration of that which is in-person and digital. Seamlessly integrated models where brick and mortar and digital are integrated together. That's the language from biz community. So I want you to apply that for just a moment to the church. So what we have from Jesus is a calling, a commission, a spirit, a community, a fellowship, a mission. And we also possess all of the gifts that are necessary to accomplish that which he commands us to do in his name. So I just want us to recall that there was a time when that did not include brick-and-mortar buildings, certainly not those with uh, multiple tens of thousands of square feet. Uh, There was a time when being the church did not include a Bible in every hand nor a hymnal in every pew because those didn't exist. There was a time when the mission was carried out differently than the way that we have experienced it in 20th century and now early 21st century America. So three uh, three considerations I want you to think about today on this topic. Number one, are all of those people who have been tuning in to worship with you from home, all of them, all of them, are they getting uh, those virtual first-time visitors, right? you have You have thought of them as first-time visitors to your virtual church experience. Are they getting, I don't know, an email welcome packet from you, a call from your welcome team, That group of people who regularly reaches out to all of those who have in the past, quote, visited your church for the first time. And if not, why not? Why are we treating digital visitors differently than physical visitors? Because let me just tell you, it's now fidgetal. Ed Navigator launched uh, a thing this week called Kind of Camp. Now, Kind of Camp is kind of camp and it's 100 percent free It's not it's not this is not uh, there's nothing Christian about what they're doing. What I'm saying is the secular people are figuring out how to keep kids busy in camp like experiences this summer that don't include kids actually getting on a bus and going to a camp. So they're going to supply digitally three to four hours of content every single day for free. Um, Are we doing that? Are we thinking about vacation Bible school? Are we planning VBS this summer in a way that is digital? where we actually might reach more kids than we've ever been able to reach before um, because we're going to think fidgetally about it. All right, now we're going to talk about sacraments. I have no idea how we're going to fidgetally do sacraments, but up next to talk about that is Peter Kapsner. We'll be right back. Dr. Peter Kapsner joins me each and every week. We love to talk with one another about uh, what's going on in the world. And, Peter, um, my last guest is looking for ways to bring heat that is hotter than the center of the sun uh, as, a, as, as a power source here uh, to those of us on Earth. What, what are you doing?
2: Well, nothing anywhere, <laughs> even remotely close to that. I, I told Paul Perot that I got to start coming at the six o'clock hour because I can't follow those <laughs> kind of people. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that was Wasn't he
0: awesome? Yeah.
2: Oh, incredible stuff. I mean, what concepts and ideas. Uh, great, great
0: stuff. All right. So um, I did make a note that uh, I am familiar with uh, with heat sources hotter than the center of the sun. I chose not to bring them up with Ian Hutchinson because, like, I, I feel fairly confident hell is hotter than the heat at the center of the sun.
2: Yeah, I would. And, and it doesn't right? show any uh, any worry about burning out anytime soon, you know, unlike no. the sun might. So I, I, think I don't want to go there. Something there. Right. I right. don't want to go
0: there. OK, so you and I are going to talk about um, sacraments. Uh, we're going to talk about church. We're going to talk about uh, sacraments. Is it possible to uh, to perform a sacrament digitally? is it possible to have a sacramental experience digitally um so this this integration of the physical and the digital um and i guess maybe this article in christianity today online communion can still be sacramental and then the subhead the bread and the cup zoomed for you
2: mm. yeah you know carmen i don't i i, I I don't want to be the curmudgeon, right? And, and I don't want to be the sort of like get out of my yard and things were better in the older days and and, and that kind of mentality. And and yet, and, and I understand with all of the distancing and, and needing to be together, however we can be together on a virtual basis. And And I think there are some practices within the church and some ways of doing our life together that really do lend themselves to. Uh, the enhancement of technology and being together. I was uh, Hallie, my wife, and I were talking with some friends overseas yesterday through Zoom, and they were talking about how their 25ish year old son is uh, is helping in the ministry of people dying and the funerals that are there. And when loved ones can't actually be at the funeral or visit the gravesite, and uh, our friend over there is is a director of a funeral home, and and so. He's been obviously seeing a tremendous amount of, uh, of death and suffering, and people that uh, it's grief upon grief because they they simply can't be there. So his son has been invited into people's homes to live stream the services for the loved ones that otherwise couldn't be there at the gravesite, and uh, it's really sacred space as he's going into people's homes and he is going to the gravesites, and in that sense, technology is helping people grieve and be part of of sort of that. Uh, sacred process that happens when when people pass through the veil, and uh, and I'm sure you've done funerals. I know when I have performed funerals in my life, that veil is really thin, and and the realm of heaven seems to sort of touch the realm of earth in some ways. That's pretty hard to duplicate when uh, in, in any other form of life. And so, I, I think they could probably approximate some of that experience through the technological means uh, of what's happening there. And and uh, he's going to be featured on BBC News over there, and and uh, and and seeing that there's legitimate ways to do church. Now, when it comes to sacraments that you just described, and sacraments historically would be the Eucharist and uh, would be baptism primary among them, though there are others the Church has also um, practiced over the years, the the meaning of sacrament is that the the divine grace of God is drawing near, and, and there's an actual sort of real presence of God in the midst of the ritual that you're performing in a sacrament. And the question becomes, can we actually experience that through sort of this fidgetal means? Is it is it meant to be experienced? Can we can we share communion with one another? Uh, I don't think God is limited by geography or technological space, and yet are we missing something by not being in the same space? And I I think that's an open discussion. I, I really appreciated what you said at the top of the hour that the church has adapted and evolved throughout all of the generations to the point that we didn't always have hymnals and they didn't the, the the scriptures that we so rightly lean on today weren't in circulation at all until we had the printing press. And even before that, it wasn't until maybe three fifty or so that we had the first canon or list of the New Testament. And so the churches had to learn to do these things. I just there's something in me though that I'm a little caught up. I don't know about you, I'm just a little caught up can we do these sacraments through digital means? I, I, I guess I'm mixed on that at this point.
0: So I, I think that the sacraments themselves um, are, are physical experiences. And so somehow, some way, the physical has to be involved. And so I would say that specifically the sacraments, which I would hold to be uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism, others would have that list be longer. Um, uh, and so we should talk a little bit about marriage and there there is this last rites experience that for many people is physical i'm wondering how that is happening in in environments where um particularly people who are roman catholic are are dying alone yeah. in these covid yeah. icu icu situations like there are some parts of this conversation that are um i mean deep and profound and important, and we should be having them. So thank you for entertaining this conversation this morning. Um, uh, you have this friend related to, you know, funerals. Um, I was on a Zoom call this past week with a guy who shared that um, he walked his daughter down the aisle over WhatsApp.
2: Uh, yeah.
0: She's a miss- She's a missionary in Uganda. And obviously yeah. they couldn't. They couldn't go. So um, we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Uh, we're considering together Peter Kapsner and I. We're considering together um, the sacraments and how those uh, are being adapted during the COVID nineteen sort of shutdown. But then how how they might have changed for uh, for us experientially. Um, but then why the physical is still so so important. That's up next. You're on mornings with Carmen. Okay, Peter Kapsner and I are not having the debate about how many sacraments there are, okay, baptism, the Lord's Supper, yes or no on confession or absolution, and then yes or no on the rest of the list of seven that others uh, include. Um, What we are talking about is is how the grace of God is brought to bear in physical ways. And so um, what are those signs instituted by Christ, commanded that we do them as well, um, where the physical um, is not just spiritualized, but actually grace is uh, is understood to be imparted in a particular way. So, Peter, um, we don't want to trivialize this, but you and I have both seen, and there's actually now memes out there, um, related to a priest who on Easter... Uh, wanted for wanted his people to, you know, still have the experience apparently of having their Easter baskets blessed, which is a whole other conversation that we could have. And holy water is a part of this. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he loaded right. up uh holy water in um in in squirt guns, right? And so I mean and, and so like it's even like, oh, I we've both laughed at the pictures. Um but we don't want to see that which is holy trivialized in any way. And I don't think that he was desiring to trivialize it. But the memes related to it certainly do, so just talk with us about kind of where we are culturally in all of this
2: yeah, I think that that was sort of the point that we were hitting on a little bit in the first segment is just being careful not to reduce what is sort of this p- profound intersection of God and the spiritual realm and his kingdom with us in our physical realm and and you know most of which goes viral these days out on Twitter and social media tends to be sort of drivel, quite frankly. It's sort of those things that make us laugh uh, for a little bit, but then we move on with our day. And I think that's great. They can be funny and fun things to share with one another. But when something that has sort of the history underneath it that the blessing of people does and, and the grace of God being ministered, and if you just even look at the idea of holy water, whatever you else you want to think about it, it, it has its origins in probably about 400 A.D. or so, and, and probably even before that in the, in the realms of baptism. And there was a sense in which the physical water that somebody was immersed in or sprinkled under or somehow had came into physical contact with, it did something in the spiritual realm. It wasn't just a symbolic idea. There was an intersection of the physical with the spiritual. And in the case of holy water, you can read so many of the really well-known ancient theologians and church fathers of our faith that would say this has an effect even on sort of the demonic realm it, it it casts demons aside, and it has a purification kind of effect. It does things to sort of our 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 sinful appetites as it were and When you look back at sort of ancient Hebrew thinking and, and some of the scriptures as well, when for example, uh, Moses passed on the blessings uh, that he did, and Joshua became the leader of israel and and the practice of laying hands on one another was not just symbolic; there was a Hebrew concept associated with it that an actual mantle of spiritual leadership was passed from one person to another through the means of physical touch. And we have New Testament passages, of course, about laying down in hands and all of that. And the point of that, Carmen, is I think where I'm concerned is that we would trivialize some of these ancient, beautiful practices, in which we do somehow in in mysterious though very real ways interact with the very presence of god and there there is a grace of some kind that matters in in how we're wired i think unfortunately we we live in a post sort of scientific tsunami in our world where we distrust anything in the spiritual realm and we trust only those things which we can t- touch and taste and test and feel and see and all of that and we split the physical from the spiritual and that is simply not true of all of christian history certainly not true of ancient jewish thought either there's a long judeo christian tradition that brings these two things together and as finite physical beings our access to the spiritual space is almost always through some sort of physical encounter and and i think again at, at the risk of just sending these these beautiful practices sort of into the twitter sphere and uh, and watching them disappear yeah, I, I just don't. I don't. I want. I don't want us to tick tock our faith. There, there's too much at risk and too much at stake in people's lives. I mean, this is life and death stuff that's happening, and and I think we can pay attention to some of those things.
0: So, um, my, you know, sort of my <clears throat> seminary education is is emerging now. So if. If the church has, uh, you know, some something like three legs, uh, the word rightly preached, the sacraments rightly administered, and discipline church discipline rightly applied, um, which we could discuss, you know, what would the legs of a of a stool be that would support the institutional reality of the church today? Um, you know, if it's okay with us that the word be rightly preached over um, over technology. Um, is it possible that the church, which cannot gather as thousands of people in one space breaking a common loaf distributed? What if the church were already distributed in smaller communities of something like ten who were yeah. gathered together in homes, participating together with the word being rightly proclaimed by their own pastor over uh, you know over the technology, but then right there in that space, they were breaking common bread together and sharing common cup i think mm. the challenge yeah. the challenge that we face then is when we have said that the hands that touch that bread and the hands that pour that pour that wine or that juice from that common cup into into whatever it is that uh that we as uh, as as the people are going to consume that those hands have to be ordained clergy hands. And in every one of those gatherings of 10, that's not going to be true. And so what does it look like for the church distributed to celebrate um, communion or the Lord's Supper in a significant way um, when we have, you know, we do have rules and regulations in many of our denominations that would prohibit those smaller gatherings from breaking a physical loaf together because they don't recognize those people, uh, anyone in that group as quote unquote. I mean, you see my challenge, right?
2: I do, yeah, for sure. I start and start breaking and just... it down this way. Yeah, and and quickly on that, Carmen, I mean, the Church is not without precedent in its theological history to make some shifts that still hold to the sanctity of some of these practices. I think about when Christianity really spread in the Roman Empire around the 5th century or so, they used to do baptism and confirmation and communion all on the same day, unlike what maybe many of our listeners have experienced, where uh, confirmation comes much later in the process and even after communion. But because Christianity spread so far out that the Church uh, gave— the responsibility and the power to the family to go ahead and baptize their loved ones. And then maybe once every few years, a, a priest or somebody an ordained kind of clergy member like that would be traveling through the Roman empire. And at that time, that, that the ritual of confirmation or anointing the head with oil was reserved still for the priest, but they just waited until the priest could come to the village to be able to actually do that work. And they would celebrate communion before that, but that's part of even how the sequence of those, Uh, sacraments changed at that time, and there was reason for it, because they were hampered just simply by the spread of geographic location of Christianity. And I think we can have those conversations about how do we hold on to the beautiful theological and spiritual practices, even if we have to shift them ever so slightly. But your idea uh, of what you just said, where we have a common teaching and the Word is being preached by an effective teacher to multiple home groups who are then celebrating some of these other ways of doing our faith that are so important in in actual physical proximity, I, I think we can talk about those shifts of models and, and that might be really helpful.
0: All right, you and I have to leave it right there. But I, I love talking with you. Thank you for helping us till the soil of this conversation. Uh, we'll talk with you next week.
2: Sounds great. I always love being with you
0: guys, Carmen. Thanks so much, Peter. We'll be right back. All right, what's the whole point of the gospel? It's a good question. Um And how do we communicate the story, the broad sweeping scope of the story from creation to new creation? How do we communicate that to children, particularly little children? What are the images that uh, need to be set as hooks in their mind so that along the way of life, they have a place to put everything? There's a very simple book called The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross. It's actually written for children as young as three. Uh, And it it takes children on a journey from the Garden of Eden to God's perfect new creation. And it never loses sight of the cross. So the garden, the curtain, and the cross. The author, Carl Lafferton, up next. We'll be right back. In
1: 1965, Howard Rutledge parachuted into North Vietnam and spent the next several years in a prison in Hanoi, locked in a filthy cell breathing stale, rotten air, trying to keep his sanity. This is Max Locato. Few of us will ever face the conditions of a POW camp, yet to one degree or another we all spend time behind bars. After half a century of marriage, my friend's wife began to lose her memory. A young mother just called, diagnosed with lupus. Why would God permit such imprisonment? To what purpose? Jeremiah 30 and verse 24 promises... The Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his mind. This season in which you find yourself may puzzle you, but it doesn't bewilder God. He will use it for his purpose. This is Max Locato reminding you, you will get through this.
0: Joining me now, author Carl Lafferton. We are going to talk about a children's book he has authored entitled The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross. It is a part of the Tales That Tell the Truth series from The Good Book Company. Carl, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
3: Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you.
0: Well, it's wonderful to have you here today. Um, This is a beautiful book. I mean, it's visually very, very appealing Um, It is written really as a storybook for a fairly uh, young range of readers, although I have to tell you, the theology taught in the book um, is going to touch the hearts of those who read it to these children as well. Um, Talk with us about the journey from the Garden of Eden to God's perfect new creation.
3: Well, yeah, so so as you say, that's the the story of the book, really, is to um, show how the cross fits into God's great story of redemption from the first page of the scriptures to the last. And so the first page is a beautiful uh, tableau of the Garden of Eden with loads of little biblical uh, details that the illustrator, Catalina Echeverri, has, has put in there. And then it, it takes us uh, through the fall and, um, and then through the, the the tabernacle, the temple, and the design of that to point backwards to Eden, but also to remind God's people of the great problem that they face the problem of sin and separation from him and and that that then prepares the reader to appreciate just how wonderful it is that our lord died on the cross and that the, the curtain in the temple tore um so that we can look forward to uh the new creation which is where the book uh finishes up on its on its final spread so effectively we're trying to do the whole story of the bible uh, in 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 about 30 pages
0: well and I think it's very effective. Um people may have missed as you were um as you were moving through that they may have missed the the kind of the centerpiece of this particular conversation and that is the conversation about the temple curtain. Um talk with us about the significance of the temple curtain uh as as a really significant portion of this gospel presentation.
3: Yeah, so um, I think particularly when we're teaching children, it's great to have something visual for them to um, sort of look at, as it were, in their hearts and heads to, to understand these things. And with the cross, it's it's kind of, it seems sometimes hard to find something visual, except scripture gives us this wonderful visual aid, if you like, uh, which was a visual aid placed in the tabernacle and then in the temple for God's people, which is that in Exodus in chapter 26, when God was giving Moses uh, on Mount Sinai the, the the designs for the tabernacle, right down to you know what the what the hook the curtain hooks had to be made out of. He said he wanted a curtain placed between the ark where His presence dwelled and the place where the priests were allowed into, and that curtain was to be embroidered with cherubim. And that's significant because when He cast Adam and Eve uh, out of the Garden of Eden as a result of their sin, uh, who did He place? At the edge of the gardens, so that there could be no way back. Well, it was cherubim with flaming swords, and so for hundreds of years, God's people had this visual aid, if you like, in the, in the temple, um, that that said, uh, because because you're sinful, you can't come into the presence of a holy God, and that is the curtain that gloriously was torn in two from top to bottom. Um, the Gospels tell us. Uh, as the Lord Jesus hung on the cross and, and bore the judgment for sin, and so we we just realized as we were thinking about putting together a, a, a book that would, if you like, explain the significance of the Easter events, and not just explain them but excite children about them, that this this curtain in the temple uh, is is a magnificent picture both of the uh, the serious consequences of sin, but also of the wonderful achievement of the cross, and so that's really the 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 centerpiece of the book therefore is this this picture of the curtain in the temple and then there's a wonderful picture about two thirds of the way through the book of of the temple curtain tearing in two and these priests looking really shocked and scared as it as it does it uh, 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 because because Jesus died on the cross we can now go into God's presence and enjoy Him forever.
0: The garden, the curtain, and the cross. Um, if you've never, if you've never considered the fact that God wants to dwell with us, um, and that the story of the Garden of Eden is a story of God dwelling with us, and that, uh, at the new creation, it is a story of, uh, of us living together forever in the fullness of the presence of God, and that, that living in one another's presence, um, is what is ultimately interrupted by sin. And so, when we talk about the curtain, when we talk about um, a a line like "because of your sin, you can't come in," we are talking about the holiness of God. We're not talking about the uh, about an idea like God doesn't want to be with us. We're actually talking about the reality that God does very much want to be with us, and the only way that that is uh, made possible again is through God's grace, demonstrated. And realized through the person of Jesus Christ um, and his uh, death, sacrificial atoning death upon the cross. So, at the centerpiece of the conversation is the cross, but the visual aid in this book is the curtain, the garden, the curtain, and the cross. More with author Carl Lafferton in just a moment. We'll be right back. All right. I am talking with author Carl Lafferton. Uh, We're talking today about the garden, the curtain, and the cross. If you go to thegoodbookcompany.com and uh, and check out this book, let me just go ahead and tell you, there are some free downloads uh, of the illustrations available. And so that is kind of fun. Um, The illustrations in these books are absolutely just delightful and beautiful. Um, So, Carl, getting back to uh, the content of the book, I think I just want to ask this question. Why teach kids theology? Because that's really—this is a very theological book. It is a children's book. It's written for kids three to six years old, but it is theological. Why is it important for us to teach kids good and right theology when they're very young?
3: Because I think what you learn when you're young is often what you hold on to as you grow older. And um, just like I want to teach my kids math and writing reading, and I want to teach them that you know if you if you jump out of a tree from too high up, you face serious consequences when you land and and all these things that they need to learn for life well as a as a parent, what is the most important thing I can teach them? What is the thing that I most want them to to know and understand every day? It is that the Lord Jesus loves them so much that he died on the cross to save them from their sins so that they can dwell with him forever. And I think uh, inevitably, uh, as we raise our children, um, we are teaching them theology. And uh, in in your question, Carmen, you said, you know, why is it important to teach them good theology? Well, I think it's important to teach them good theology because if we're not teaching them good theology, we'll be teaching them bad theology. If we never open up the scriptures with our children, we're teaching them that the scriptures really aren't that important. Uh, If we never uh raise them understanding that though they're precious and made in the sight of God or precious in the sight of God and made in his image, they are also sinful. Uh, if we don't raise them understanding these things, then we're saying that these things aren't as important as the things that we are telling them. And you know, increasingly uh the world in which we live in the West is they're not going to get this anywhere else. Um uh but God has placed these kids in our care so that they can hear uh good gospel truths from us and i think actually um, young children are able to understand more than we often give them credit for with these things and so i remember when when this book came out 4 years ago uh my um, my youngest was 2 at the time and i remember she she was able to after a few read throughs of the book uh she could recite the the central sort of rhyme that builds up through the book um, it is wonderful. God says it's wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you can't come in. And then Jesus saying that I died on the cross to take your sin, so that all my friends can now come in. And from the age of two, she was able to remember that and recite that and understand that. And I would rather that she was thinking about that than anything else. So I think the question is, why? why wouldn't I and your listeners want to introduce our kids to good theology? Explain simply and appropriately from the moment that they're they're born.
0: So, um, Carl, you have lots of uh, lots of roles and responsibilities at the Good Book Company. I just want to ask. Um, so, as you translate these children's books into foreign languages, I know that this one has already been translated into Spanish, and our friend Trillia Newbell, her uh, her book um, God's Very Good Idea has been translated into French and Korean. I'm wondering um, uh, how the how the sort of rhyming um, how does that hold up in translation?
3: Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't think any radio interviewer has, has asked me that one before. So yeah, so I think but we're to, we are here to we are here
0: to surprise and delight, my friend. Yeah, that you're, is you're the... <laughs> asking
3: the questions that no, no one no one else thought of. Um, yeah, so I think it's uh, uh, gotten cut across in ten to twelve languages so far, and in most of them they can make the rhyme work um the real difficulty is not losing the theological precision as you make the rhyme work in a different language and so uh, i won't tell you which languages or which publishers but there's been a couple where we've had to push back quite hard and say we'd we'd rather you sacrifice the the cadence of the rhyme in order not to sacrifice some of the theology that 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 has gone into it um so when most of our kids' books, we don't use rhyming, and one of the reasons, apart from the fact it's really hard to write a book in rhyme, is um, one of the reasons is we we care about. We're an international publisher, so we care just as much about how this book will work in Latin America in Spanish, or 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 in Korean over in Korea or Chinese or whatever, as we do English. And therefore, we we want all our books to work so in in different languages. So normally we avoid rhyming, but with this, with the Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. Um, it just felt like the Lord had given me this rhyme that, that as I say, builds through the book, as as you'll have seen, coming as you read it. And so um, it just felt it was worth having that for the English version, even if in some other languages, it may not work quite so well.
0: Uh, well, um, Evelyn, who is six, wanted you to know that uh, she very much likes the a coloring and activity book version of The Garden, <laughs> The Curtain, and The Cross. So there you go. Hats off. Carl Lafferton, thank you so much for this. Thank you for um, all of the books in the Tales That Tell the Truth children's series from the Good Book Company, um, and thank you for everything else you're doing over there.
3: Oh, thank you very much for having me on your show, Carmen. It's been great.
0: We appreciate it. We'll be right back.
2: I'm
1: hungry and I'm ready for change. i run too far to still be the same. See who I was, i give him away
0: today. today. All right, there are all kinds of opportunities each and every day to bring the gospel to bear on the realities of real life, right? The gospel is real life. Like, I don't think we should be uh, seeking to sort of separate the gospel out um, because you can't. It is it is in the midst of our living. God, um, by the power of his Holy Spirit, dwells where we dwell now. And so let's dwell on that a little bit today. Uh, Todd Tilgman, I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly. I, I butcher people's names. I, I apologize for that. Uh, Todd won last night's first ever virtual version of The Voice. Now, I wouldn't even have known that. Uh, had Christian media not lifted up this story by saying, hey, hey, we've got a pastor from Mississippi, a pastor from Mississippi, who has now won this very, uh, you know, secular contest. And so this is a story you might want to check out today, opportunity to talk about what we sing, why we sing, and how we sing. Uh, We certainly want our life song to sing today. What is your life song? What is the soundtrack running in Your head and your heart? Uh, Is your life filled with music that glorifies God? Is praise always upon your lips? Todd is both the uh, oldest person to ever win the voice um, and also, you know, the first pastor. Maybe that's not a surprise. So he married his high school sweetheart, Brooke, in 1998, eventually became the pastor of his home church. They had three children, and then they adopted a daughter from South Korea and her biological sister. And then they had three more kids. So this is a family with lots of kids, eight kids. They live in Mississippi. Um, And he never sang outside of their church services until his wife convinced him uh, to enter this open audition online for the singing competition, The Voice. And so uh, that's how this story unfolds. He sang, I Can Only Imagine, during the show's final competition. um, And then he became uh, the winner of the voice. Why do I lift this story up? Because I think sometimes we need to be reminded that there are, um, there are beautiful ways in which we glorify God in the context of our sanctuaries, in our families, but that are hidden away from the rest of the world. And so let me encourage you today to let your light or your voice or your humor um, or your story let your light so shine before others that they would see you and hear your voice and glorify God who is in heaven. So what does it look like for us to point to the truth of who God is in the midst of a world that thinks all the answers are found uh, apart or aside from him? And what does it look like or what does it sound like for us to lift up our voices today in in one accord, as one voice, proclaiming and declaring the goodness and the glory of God. It's always a joy to be with you. Thank you so much. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.